about um, uh, last week, and we're going to continue to talk about the, this week into the future. And what we're going to talk about tonight, again, is these things called parables. Jesus taught in parables, and we talked about that a little bit last week. And there's a reason he taught in parables. He wanted to teach a lesson so that those that had ears, like we said last week, would hear the truth of the message, and those that did not have the ears to hear it would be confused and possibly walk away confused. I quoted this guy last week. I still think it's a really good summary of um, what a parable is. This guy named William Barclay, he says this, The parable conceals truth from those who are either too lazy to think or too blinded by prejudice to see. It puts the responsibility fairly and squarely on the individual. It reveals the truth to him who desires truth. It conceals the truth from him who does not wish to see the truth. So tonight, our second parable we're going to look at is in Matthew 22. And it's in verse 1 through um, 13. And it's called the parable of the wedding feast. I'm going to go ahead and read the whole parable, and then we will dive right in. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent another servant, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My ox and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. And while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry with this, and his, he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness, In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. The first thing, uh, point for tonight that I want us to see in this first half of this parable is the king invites. If you don't know this yet, if it's not obvious to you, the king here is obviously God, right? And the son here is God's son, or the father and the son here in this parable. It's the king, it is the father who invites in to honor the son. So he says this, the kingdom of heaven may be compared. So I want you to think about that phrase while I'm talking about this parable. 
He is trying to teach us about the kingdom of heaven. People would often ask him, what what is the kingdom of heaven? What is the kingdom of heaven like? And this is how he taught about the kingdom of heaven. So we see the king inviting, right? So in verses 1 through 4 here, we see an invite, two actually, that go out. So what were these people actually being invited to? Because you may be in your mind thinking the wedding that you've been to, which may have been extravagant, may have not been, may have been in a courthouse. I don't know what weddings you've been to. This is nothing like any of those things. When a king throws a wedding, it is the only thing that matters. His whole castle, his whole halls are filled with celebration. The best food you could ever have in the land is going to be present at the wedding. Prestigious to be at this event. And not only that, it's not one night. A wedding would last seven to nine days of party. The best food, the best drink, the best accommodations. This is what you were invited to. This is the invite that's going out. So keep that in mind as we keep going. This is the wedding feast that they're talking about. The only thing that somewhat came to mind when I thought about this is how crazy people were for the royal wedding that happened like four years ago, I think, or something like that. It was like the international event. And if you got invited, you were not turning it down. You were going to show up, right? So two invitations went out at first. The first one we see, those who were invited. You see that phrase there. It says, um, his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. This means that there was a group of people who were always invited to anything the king did. They were in. They were in the inner circle. They had the invite. They were the closest of close. These are the people He's just sending the reminder to. They know they're invited. He's just going to remind them that, hey, we're having a wedding and you're invited. And then they say no. Shock. Okay, he goes out again and he sends another messenger. And this time he's like, hold on, on. I want you to understand. Do you know what's going to be happening at this wedding? Like, the best of the best stuff. And he goes through all the food and the accommodation, everything. And what happens? He tries to entice them by the grandness of the party, but they still say no. There shouldn't be any need for him to ask them a second time. When the king asks you to do something, you don't look at the king and say, nah, I'm good. We don't have a concept for this because we don't have like a royal structure. You didn't do that to the king. The king owns you. For one, he could end your life in a second. But for two, like everyone wanted to be a part of the king's ceremony. You shouldn't have to ask twice, but he does out of the kindness and patience of this king. He asks a second time. 
Can you imagine rejecting the invitation of a king to come and dine in his great hall for a celebration of his son, the prince? The second thing I think we see in here, not only that the king invites, but the king will fill the wedding hall. Whether you accept the invitation or not, it does not matter. You are actually not as important as you think you are. He will find people who want to be here, who want to receive the invitation. You see in verse 5, he says, But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. This was the response of these people. The ones that were in the inner circle, the ones that were the closest of the close, the ones that should have been there. They said, nah, I got stuff on the farm. Nah, I got other business to do. Gotta do some homework. Gotta go take out the trash. And if that isn't outrageous enough, how about the last people's response? Not only am I indifferent to your invitation, I'm going to kill the one you sent to invite me. The response from the esteemed, the first invited guests. I think we can easily see our own responses in this as well when we get the invite. Busyness, family, distraction, or possibly hostility. These people were so preoccupied and content with their small things and celebrations that they would rather attend to them than join the king in his feast for his son. This response shows a major amount of disrespect and dishonor to the king. Turning the king down was not an okay thing to do. To respond this way to the son's wedding would have been a response directly targeted at the king. So then we see the king's response in verse 7. The king was angry, duh. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Remember what I said earlier about what the king can do? The king will not sit and watch as his messengers and servants get slaughtered and persecuted by the favored guests. He will respond in justice. This is directly calling out the Pharisees who he would have been talking to in this moment. The ones that in time, not yet, but in time, would send Jesus to the cross. He was calling out the future. Acts 7, 51-53 is a section of Scripture where Stephen, this is after Jesus, Stephen, one of the first martyrs of the church, says this to the Israelites, to the people that he's talking about here. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. 
you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. The kindness and patience of the Lord will not last forever, but he will rescind his offer of invitation at some point. And the king will fill his wedding hall. You see, next he says, then he says to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited are not worthy. He has now determined those that are close. And now at this point in time, we know that what he's talking about here is he's talking about the Israelites. He's talking about his people. He's talking about the people who have walked with him for hundreds of years. And he's extended invitation after invitation after invitation, and they have declined everyone. And not only declined a lot of them, he has, they have looked back at the one he has sent to them, and they have killed them. You have John the Baptist, and we can go all the way back in the Old Testament, of prophet after prophet who endured persecution and possibly death, trying to call people to the invitation they're talking about. Because unless God changes our heart, we are rebellious at our core to see how good of an invitation this is. Those invited were not worthy. This is just another jab and reminder to those listening. The ones who could have, could have, should have, would have been worthy are now declared not. So verse 9, Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those, and those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now the invitation will go out to those outside the inner circle we see here. No longer will it only be the Israelites, but the invitation will go out further than that. You got your chance. I am going to fill my hall with those that want to be here to honor my son. You see, the invitation here goes out, like I said, from the inner circle to the outside. It's open to all who would come, both good and bad. That good and bad here does not mean good people and bad people. It's just, it's just a moral distinction. Neither of them are better than the other. He's just saying the goodest people and the baddest people equal, but both have come. There's no distinction. The invitation of the king is open to all who would come and honor the son. As many as you find, he says. So they go out, and what happens? They fill the wedding hall. The party is ready. It is full. It is time to celebrate. Those who have come, come with gratitude excitement, awe, shock that they would get this opportunity. It would be like someone sitting on the streets, destitute, getting a visit and an invitation to sit on the front row to watch the royal wedding. And yet, that doesn't even compare to what's being offered. 
the people that have come in are coming in because they are beyond grateful for the opportunity. Never would they have thought that they would get the invitation to sit at the king's table. This should be where you and I are all the time. It should blow you away that you have been invited in. To enjoy all the goodness of God. Grace has deemed you and I worthy. And now we get all the goodness. But before the party begins, the king notices something unsettling. Look at verse 11. But when the king came in to look at the guest, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how, do you, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Okay, so why is this a big deal? You should be reading this going, uh... A little bit on the like OCD side here, buddy. Like he just doesn't have the right clothes on. It's okay. Why is this a big deal? Because when you came to something for the king, the king would give you everything you need to be in proper decorum. It would have been normal practice that if you came to a wedding and you needed a garment for the wedding, he would have given it to you to wear. So that this person that has come in now that is not wearing a wedding garment means this, that they have come in on their own terms. They have rejected what the king would give and has come in on their own terms. And we see already the problem with that here. That's the big deal. So one of the things we don't know about the wedding feast at this time is that the king hosting would give anything for this person. This person has obviously just disregarded the clothes provided by the king. And how do we know this? We know this because of his response to the question. Look at verse 12. He said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? There are lots of things he could have said here. Lots of things, right? And yet it tells us that he was speechless. He was coming to the party on his own terms and refused to come on the terms of the king. A theologian, John MacArthur, says, But not everyone wants God, and many who claim to want God want him on their terms. I want you to pause for a second and assess in your life are you worshiping a God on your terms? Are you a worshiping a God agreeing to his? This seems to be a very big deal here in this parable. You know, it's actually really interesting that Jesus had a very similar conversation with someone else before his death. If you look at Matthew 26, actually, 48 through 50, it says this about Judas as he comes to betray Jesus. It says, Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. 
and he kissed him. And listen to this. This is what Jesus says. Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. The language is the same. Do you see that you can be so close to Jesus and yet so far away? What was really truly in Judas's heart comes out in his action. Jesus even calls him friend, but in the friend way that we're also talking about in this parable, which is we're not really friends. Come and do what you came to do. The reality is this. Many will come and believe that they are friends of Jesus, but they come on their own terms and reject the gifts and the lordship of God. Those accepted are accepted because they are willing to embrace his sovereign lordship given by grace to the sinner. This is usually a crossroads in the believer's life. Which is why I want this uh, hopefully to come across clearly, but also directly. When you gave your life to Jesus, you did not just gain a get out of hell free card. You gave your life to Jesus in saying this, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the one who sent him for me. When you give your life to Jesus, what you're doing is you are saying, I am no longer the Lord of my life. That's what you're saying. Which means this, that every decision that you make from that day forward is not about you. You have a different Lord, Master. So if you have come on your own terms to Jesus, and you're only following God as long as he continues to make good on the terms that you've come with, I don't think you're following Jesus. That's what he's calling out here. The ones that have come to the feast that are dressed properly were the ones that came and acknowledged that I need grace. The only way that I get righteousness for myself is if you give it to me as my own. I come and I submit myself to your terms. So my question to you, one, is Jesus actually Lord of your life? Or have you struck up a contract agreement with him? As long as you come and do these things, I will go and do these things. And the second you stop doing these things, I will stop doing these things. And you will continue to play God like a puppet because we don't care about actually following and submitting to him. My pleading with you tonight is this. One, don't turn down the invitation from the king. 
This is an invitation of a lifetime. You know, I mentioned the royal wedding earlier and just thinking about the backlash someone would get for turning down that invitation. And that doesn't even compare to what we're talking about. I mean, I remember like news outlets of people covering just the people who decided to not go or couldn't go. It was like a big deal. And it just pales in comparison to what we're even talking about here. Don't turn down the invitation of a lifetime. Those who choose to honor the son of the king will be cast, that would choose not to honor the son of the king will be cast into outer darkness. This is compared to those who do accept the invitation and come and embrace a sovereign King Jesus. I wanted to end with the Bible's picture of this wedding ceremony. It gives us one very vivid picture of the marriage supper of the Lamb is what he's alluding to here. And I want to give this to you, and I want to tell you that as you take communion here on a Sunday morning, This is one of the things we are taking communion and looking forward to. Do you realize we don't just take communion to look back? We also take communion as a hope and a joy that one day we will drink of the cup with him again. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation talks about this. The party of all parties From the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants who feared him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of the multitudes, like a roar of many waters, the sound of mighty pearls of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her the clothes herself, the fine linen, the bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. The Lord is asking you to come and join him and his son at the wedding supper. Will you come? And I want to end with this one caution with this invitation because I'm speaking to a group of young people. There are many in this room that think, maybe I can wait on that. Maybe my invitation will just kind of sit And I'll decide later whether or not I want to RSVP yes. Don't play that game. Come now. Why would you waste the time to know your creator? The depth of joy and contentment and satisfaction and peace. Take the invitation. Will you come? Let's pray.